I pray that as you prepare your hearts for Christmas, that you will hear that voice of power declaring his love for Jesus. And I also pray that you will hear that same thunderous voice proclaiming his love for you. That's the thought that this uh, skit writer wants you to grasp from his version of the letter to Matthew, letter from Matthew. So let me ask you, what do you think of that uh, sentiment, that idea, that concept that you can actually hear and sense and understand the spoken voice of the one true and living God? as he speaks to others and as he speaks to you as he wills and as it serves his purposes. Can it be true? Is it possible to hear God speak? And has the reality of hearing God's voice speaking ever happened to you? Furthermore, if it has happened, does it happen, oh, once in a great while, fairly regularly, more often than not, or all the time? I ask you to think about it. That's what I want us to really consider today, hearing God speak how we hear him. And what do we do with that? With that information and and that emotion that comes with it when we do, when it does happen. Let's think about that, but let's first pray. Lord, we beg you that you speak to us today. Clearly, understandably, enabling us to do more than we ever thought we could on our own. We do it for you and for your people. We do it in your power and in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So let me ask you as we start, how do you see or know or prepare your hearts, if you will, for anyone? At any time, much less how do you prepare them to hear God himself to speak to you at Christmas time and every day? Well, I think a good starting point for this preparation is for us to hear the scripture from Matthew 7, 18 to 20. And it tells us this. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Translation, this isn't about just uh, being able to distinguish between apples and oranges and grapefruits and kumquats. 
This is saying that the fruit of the plant is the fruit of the plant, which is a very serious, real, and important situation for all of us to be able to distinguish between and identify carefully. The key to this analogy is that it also, it's also suggesting that this is what God is like too. What comes from him defines him to us. His fruit tells us about him. And it helps us to hear him. And it helps us to see him and to know him along with what he's all about. I would say that his fruit even helps us to hear God speak. 1 John 4, 7 to 12 puts it this way. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In other words, his son, Jesus, is the living, breathing, loving, teaching fruit sent by God the Father here to show us what God is really all about. Verse 10 says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us so much that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that's some incredible love and some, what I would call mighty fine fruit. That brings a very, I think, clear and present message for us all. Even today, verse 11 says, beloved, if God so loved us, then we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, then God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In other words, if we love like God loves us, then he lives in us and is made apparent to us both uh, in voice and through actions that we make on his behalf. And if he's doing that, then he is without a doubt speaking to us and helping us to understand him for the benefit of ourselves and for the benefit of others. You know, way back in college days, I had the opportunity of being part of a great class called Understandings of Love. In this class, we basically took a whole semester studying the scriptures and finally preparing one concise, meaningful definition of what the simple word love meant, especially for God. Using our own words, our own vocabulary and language to make that word Clearly, clearly understandable. I want you to take a moment. Let me just think in your head. 
what that word love means to you. Can you put it in words? Can you define it? Or is that word love more of a kind of squishy, if you will, nebulous, ethereal concept that has feelings attached to it, but little in the way of an actual description? Well, after all the time, effort, and struggle that we put into defining it, I can still remember exactly how we defined love. It was this, love is the willing, and that's key. It's got to be willing and not coerced or mandatory. It's got to be willing, extending of oneself. In other words, you got to get out. You got to get out of yourself. You got to get out there, out of your own situation and willingly get involved with somebody else and their situation that needs your help. And you do it simply for the benefit of the other person. In other words, love and the act of love is not about us, about you or me. It's about the them that's out there, the other person and their needs, with no thoughts of payback or remuneration. Some of you are thinking, what? No payback? No this for that? No implied reward? Simply for the benefit of of somebody else, another person? Who does that sort of thing, especially today? The short answer is, though, that God loves that way. And we're not only expected to live and love and act likewise, but we're also enabled to see him work and hear him speak and then do as he does. Jesus tells us straight out in John 14, 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. Because I'm going to the Father. The bad or the sad part is that this isn't the way that much of life often ends up playing out for us. Oftentimes we get way too involved with our own private uh, Selves and our own simple issues be bothered with other people's problems. Or maybe we want something in return for our efforts. The efforts that we should be putting into them. Or any number of other things that keep us from hearing God speak to us. Which then makes his wonderful voice really seem like... uh, Nothing more than some unaccounted for thunder that simply happened. But we really didn't pay attention to it. This made me think of uh, the family TV TV set we had when I was uh, growing up until I was 14. It was a mammoth TV set. It was a 12-inch zenith black and white. On a rolling cart... How many of you remember those? You don't have to put up your hand. I know a lot of us did. Had two rabbit ear antennas that had to be adjusted in or out, up and down to turn around for each channel you tuned into. It also had a round loop on the back for those uh, newfangled UHF channels, those channels past 12, which also had to be moved up and pointed 
in the direction uh, that the channel was coming from in order to tune in the picture correctly. Some of you might not believe this, but way back then, you actually had to get up off the sofa and walk to the TV in order to turn the channel knob in order to change the channel, which there were usually, oh, I don't know, three to four stations, ABC, NBC, CBS, and sometimes PBS if the weather was just right. No cable or WB or ESPN or anything like that. And then if you wanted to see something really new, something else, there were a few independence-type stations on the UHF zone, ultra-high frequency. These few, those few stations, they had their own knob on the TV. <laughs> that knob also had what was called a fine-tuner behind it. And you would turn that in order to adjust things even more finely. Maybe a station wasn't exactly on the frequency it was supposed to be. Sometimes the weather played havoc with the picture. And so you could adjust things ever so slightly to still pick up that faint picture. There were some interesting shows in the UHF realm, but you had to look for them. And you had to be willing to work at adjusting things in order to receive the message that they were sending. Now what do you do? You press a button on the remote from across the room. You page through 100 plus channels. And if you still don't find something you like, then you turn on Hulu or Apple TV or Netflix until you feel the need to see what you want to see. The point is that for far too often today, it comes down to us and what we want, what we want to see and hear and think is right, regardless of the message that God wants to send us or wants us to hear. And so instead of hearing his voice booming in a wonderful and divine way, we hear some noisy thunder and often don't even pay attention to it, much less give it a second thought. Just like the star that led the shepherds to see Jesus. You know, I'm sure that most people didn't pay much attention to it. They saw it, but were like, yeah, whatever. I've got other things to take care of. They had the ability to tune in the message, but chose not to. Not to use the wisdom that God gave them in order to care enough to follow through with finding out what was really going on. It's virtually the same idea of hearing God speak to us or not. Just for your benefit, here are some scriptures I found that reflect on just how long people haven't been listening to God or hearing God speak. Often, not wanting to on purpose. Jeremiah 6.10. Now this was written somewhere between 630 and 580 BC. It says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are closed and they cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord has become a reproach to them. They had no delight in it. 
Jeremiah 6.19. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their plans, because they have not, not could not, but have not listened to my words. And as for my law, they have rejected it also. Jeremiah 13.11. For as the waistband clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole household of Israel and the whole household of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, for renown, for praise, and for glory. But they did not listen. Jeremiah 17.23. Yet they did not listen or incline their ears, but stiffened their necks. That's an interesting phrase. Stiffened their necks in order not to listen or take correction. Go down to Jeremiah 25, 7. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, in order that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. And we go to Isaiah 30, verse 9. Written, this is written about 740 B.C. For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord. And we go to Psalm 58, 4, written about a thousand years B.C. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like a deaf cobra that stops up its ear. Then we go on to Acts seven fifty seven, written about 60 to 70 years A.D., but they crowd, cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. Or Hebrews 5.11, written about 40 to 60 AD. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. And Acts 28.27, for the heart of the people has become dull. And with their ears, they scarcely hear, and they had closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. Second Timothy 4, 3, and 4, uh, 3 to 4 was written about 67 A.D. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And finally to John 6.60, written possibly as late as 90 AD. Therefore, many of his disciples, his disciples, when they heard this said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? That brings us to a a total of at least, at least a thousand years, more than that, of written history, testifying as to how the people have chosen not to listen to or to hear God on purpose. That's just not a good thing. You know, this whole idea of Christmas and Jesus coming for, to earth for us. Really, you know, this is perfect. It's so quaint. We've got the snow outside. We've got the trees and the lights up. 
so quaint, so comforting, so filled with joy and pleasure, dinners and presents and kind of warm, fuzzy feelings. And yet, in reality, we've had over 2,000 years to ponder this incredible gift of love from God and to basically gut the revolutionary meaning out of it, the meaning that God had in mind when he sent Jesus here to save us from our own sins in the first place. And yet, even understanding that we fail at hearing God speak over and over and over again, even this year, we're given another chance, another opportunity to prepare our hearts so that we do put Christ back into Christmas. So that we do hear God speak the wonderful story and truth of his great love given to us again, as well as to see him change lives for those willing to put Jesus, the living word, into practice every day. You may not believe this, but I don't know of one pastor who doesn't pray fervently every week so that they might hear God speak in order for them to bring the proper words of God to the specific congregation that God knows will be there on Sunday to hear those words. Preparing sermons should most definitely be considered an act of of hearing God speak. I know that when I write, I I pray that it's not not of me and it's simply me taking dictation from God. Similarly, taking care of a family and raising them as God has enabled you to do should also be considered a great act of hearing God speak and knowing how to do it best. Or working in a secular workplace with people who don't have a clue about God, but still being willing to share the good news with them through acts of kindness and love, being living examples. That should also be considered an act of hearing God speak. Or just loving on people when they may or not, may or may not even think they want it. That can definitely be considered an act of hearing God speak. When you're doing stuff that is not of you, you're hearing God speak. Everything we do that we wouldn't normally do of our own free and selfish will, I believe is really about hearing God speak and then acting on that living, breathing, loving word. However God uses you, however God speaks to you, and he does speak to us all the time, if we'll only listen. I pray that as you prepare your heart for this Christmas, that you will hear that wonderful voice of power declaring his love for Jesus. And I also pray that you will hear that same thunderous voice Proclaiming his love for you. Hear that love. Live the love. Share the love. 
In the name and the power of Jesus, God's Son, our Savior, at Christmas and always. And let us pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your Son that we celebrate. Thank you for forgiving us for all of our shortcomings and for still wanting us to know you and to hear you and to live for you. Help us to do that better every day, to hear a little more, to do a little more, and to just rejoice in all that you have. Lord, help us, like they said in the song earlier, to join the angels in heaven to sing of the glory of Jesus. It is so important, not just for us, but for everybody that we will ever deal with. Help us to praise you every day and live that out in the wonderful name of Jesus, our Lord. We want to 